Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Sano, joined, as always, by the Beowulf. To my Ahmad, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm feeling enthused. Still alive, I can tell, in our very own Herger. That's right, it's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric! Oh, of all the characters. Back. Welcome back. The joyous, dude. He's the joyous. He is. I, I mean, uh, Kev- Kevin's the leader. Uh, you're I the thought jo- you were going to make me the guy that has sex with his mom. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going there. Uh, <laughs> uh, good for you. Skeld? I could have gone Skeld. Uh, I could have gone the. Oh, no, I should have gone with Health Dane. I thought you were going Grendel uh, or something. The, fa- the fat guy. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Wiglet? Uh, those, guys, those, guys, those guys live the life. Okay. Uh, I want to start off with something good. I want to start off with a happy story because I think the rest of this podcast is going to be relatively unhappy. So. Uh, DK went on Rich Eisen last week and he said, he made a joke. He said to Rich Eisen, I'm learning ASL so that I can talk trash, uh, and not get flagged and not get fined. <laughs> and, okay. He said that and Rich Eisen cracked up. And then this week, DK scores touchdown and he, he's being, uh, he's being defended on the play by a Kellis Witherspoon, number 44. And I saw this on Twitter and Reddit. I'm not sure originally where it came from, but he signs 44, my son. <laughs> after after he scored. <laughs> so wow. that, that's that, that's my big that's my big uh big po- positive for this game is one, DK's actually learning ASL. That was not that even is a, so good. That's not even a gag. And two, he used it to just dunk on uh Akella Witherspoon after he scored a touchdown. Um I love it. Uh all right. Any other positives you guys got right here before we uh, head to the negatives? I mean, obviously there's going to be a few positives sprinkled in here. There, there was not everyone played horrible in this game, but uh, though. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. That's uh, that's always nice. Underrated uh, holiday. All the pictures of Richard Sherman uh, in that Thanksgiving game against the Niners on Thursday night football years ago are coming back into my feed, and those are always just so joyous to see. Yeah, they're good. Gino I- donating some turkeys. Eating a turkey leg right on the right on their logo. Okay, uh, I, I have a hard time deciding where to start here. I have so many notes, and I didn't really order them like in a way that I feel like makes sense. I want to start big picture. Okay, going into this four game stretch, we knew this was the gauntlet that they would would define the Seahawks season. I think the Seahawks gave us reason to believe that, um, both positively and negatively, things could be. You know, there were times where it felt like it could be better than we thought times that we felt like it could be worse than we thought coming off an absolutely agonizing loss to the Rams to drop to six and four times. It was the worst of times. You're right. This season is like reading a thousand page book. The the Seahawks now set at six and four heading into a gauntlet where they face the 49ers at home. They go at Cowboys at 49ers and then back home for the uh, NFC defending NFC champion nine and one uh, Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Going into the gauntlet. Okay. One, we'll start with this first question. Okay. We'll start with this. We'll start with Eric. One, is this team where you expected them to be uh, going into the gauntlet? No, because I thought we were going to have one more win, but uh, it's not, it's certainly not. an I told you so, and I'm not proud of it. But I was real clear a few weeks ago when I said I don't think we're a playoff team. And, you know, you were like, well, what team's better, Eric? What team's better? And you threw all these teams at me. And I'm like, I can't tell you what team's better. I just know my team. And my team is not very good. And we can go over those. (laughs) We will go over all those reasons. 
Uh, it's just a mediocre football club. And it's not because we don't have, you know, great guys. We have some really good talent. And um, I, I got I got more positives for Gino than negatives this game. But the negative is a pretty big negative. Um, I, as much as I love Coach Carroll, it, you know, we've always talked about you get the bad with the good. And the bad that we've been talking about <laughs> almost every loss for like 10 years, even before Kevin joined the podcast, it's still wearing its ugly head. So is this where I thought we were going to be more or less? Yeah. I also had a sunk with one more win going into this particular stretch of the, of the schedule. Shockingly, we still have a 58%. Most people have us between 50 and 60% chance to make the playoffs. And I think it really speaks to a point that we've been driving home, which is the NFC is just not very good. Yeah. Um, the Eagles are really good. The 49ers are good if everyone can stay healthy, but they already they lost Tal Noah Hafanga to a season ending injury last week. So um, we'll see if they can continue to stay healthy, but they lost a, one of their key players. And then like who's this the second best team is Dallas, probably. Maybe some people would say Detroit, but I don't think Detroit's like a world beater. I think they've just played a pretty easy schedule. It's like yeah, I mean, we're going to get like the sixth or seventh seed at eight or nine wins. And that just gives me like, I don't even know how to really feel about that. You know, like, like you said, Eric, like, yeah, we might like, it doesn't feel like a playoff team, but we're going to make the playoffs. You just look at the other teams and then I've seen, it's like, yeah, we're going to make it. But like, is it going to be like, what's, what's that even mean? So that's my question for you, Kevin. Like the, the team, you know, seems more likely than not to end up in the playoffs one way or the other. Do, does that is that good? Like what if we make the playoffs at eight and nine, if we're the seven seed and we make, we make the playoffs at like eight and nine or nine and eight on a tiebreaker, uh, you know, we're the six seed or the seven seed. Is that good? Is that good for this team? Or is that, is that kind of be seen as a failure? Uh, I think it's seen as a failure. I think it's a positive for the team, but I don't think it's good for the team. We talk about all the youth on the squad and everything. And I think those early playoff games are important for that. I think that helps lay the foundation of future playoff success. Um, so I think all that part of it's like a good thing, but I don't think that that's an acceptable outcome for this team. I think when you look at the talent level, it, we should expect more. Yeah, it, it really feels like this team should have been competing for the division and they've really just pissed, <coughs> pissed that, pissed that all away with a bunch of stuff that we're probably going to talk about in the next, uh, you know, 20, 20 or minute minutes or so. But I'm, I'm kind of right there with both of you guys. Like it, it, if this team was in the AFC, there's no way they're making the playoffs. If, if, uh, right now, you know, it just feels like a very average football team. This is the, the medium bar for NFL football. If you can beat this team, uh, you, maybe you're good. And if you can't beat this team, you're probably not super good or you're very flawed because, we don't do anything exceptionally well right now. You know, we're just, we're just kind of good at a bunch of, a bunch of things. And we're, we're not really horrific at anything except for, for me, one huge thing. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, I don't know. We're kind of the bar. We're the bar for, for mediocrity. I don't like the, that feeling of being the, the bar for mediocrity, like f- feeling like, Oh, now I do want to say this. It would be classic Seahawks to win this week, go two and two in this four game gauntlet and then follow it up with a road loss to the Titans to really just drive the <laughs> drive the dagger into my heart as that'd be you pretty know, peak. It, it would be that, which I think there's a good shot that that happens. That we like it would we, be a Pete Vember to remember. We beat the 49ers. 
We beat the Eagles at home. We went two and two in this stretch. The Seahawks are back. We're going to compete for the division. Look how easy the schedule is. And I know I'm going to be, if this happens, I'm going to be on that too. I'm going to be like, oh, we could beat the Titans, the Steelers, and the Cardinals. Then we go to Tennessee and just get get the brakes beat off us by Will Levis. And I can it- imagine Pete. <laughs> we'll be so, we'd be so hyped looking at Pete Carroll's like locker room video where he's dancing around being like, man, I told, I told you guys. I told we can, you we could beat the Eagles. Yeah, and, and the whole the whole room is just hyped, and then you can't wow, the season 17, in the first 16. quarter. Yeah, Christ- and Ma- yeah. Christmas Christmas Eve, I left you a lump of coal under the Christmas tree. I lost to the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it is what it is. This is this team is they're all right. They they easily could win two of these next four games. I'm not putting it past them, but I'm certainly not going to be. Also pick, be I'm certainly not like, going to be picking them to win any of them. I'll just the NFC teams are flawed enough. If we end up rolling in as a wild card team and yeah we, we can play win like one game atlanta or something we could end up like knocking them out yes. winning a playoff game and like giving the next team a run and it's like eh, it's kind of more of a commentary on the nfc yes like if, if we beat nfc south or nfc north champion in the playoffs like yeah we already beat detroit once we can beat detroit again uh but how cool is that really I don't know. It's not that, not that at this point, at this point, like, I don't know. Speaking of draft stock. I mean, that's the thing I think when Kevin says like, it's a disappointment, we pushed in, we saw where we were at. We saw a chance to win the division. We traded a second round pick for Leonard Williams. We pushed in and we said, Hey, we are going to, we're going to try to win the division. And then they've put together like back to back to back, like pretty medium performances that do not look like, do not look anything like a team that can, you know, beat the 49ers twice and take this division. So yeah, that's, that's, that's frustrating. That's frustrating too, to watch the team push in to really get, they, they really gave you reasons to believe heading into that stretch too. And then just to play some, some mediocre football, even the wins didn't look great the last couple of weeks. And so, yeah, Washington almost coming back on us. Isn't exactly a vote of confidence. Yeah, well, I, I've said it a million times. Sam Howell is – he's just like Jameis Winston. Like, yeah, if the volume's there, he's going to put up numbers. But he's does not take care of the football at all. He takes a million sacks. Like, that's a guy that the Seahawks defense should have, like, put out of the game to the point where they had no chance to win. Like, we should have been, you know, intercepting, sacks, stuff, and we just didn't do it. We just didn't do that because that's Pete Carroll football, I guess. Is He said he likes close games, and uh, that's what it is. All right, offense. Okay, let's start with the quarterback situation. Eric, we finally got to see uh, Gino got hurt. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for throwing this to me. Can we can we start with the play where Gino got hurt? Sure. Phil, I mean, Haynes, Phil Haynes should be put in jail for that play. <laughs> I was about to say, like, that is worse than anything that Percy Harvin did or had done to him in a locker room. Phil Haynes, Gino Smith, I know he said, I know he's gotten in trouble for punching guys in the locker room before or getting, actually, he got punched. Getting he punched. Got, I was about to say, say, he he about say is, he, uh, is Phil Haynes related to the ex Jets linebacker? Is that what this is? About? I'd be okay with him punching Phil Haynes in the face for that. He just let Aaron <laughs> Donald just destroy him on this play. And it's like, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing on this play? It was an Ole block in the middle of the line. Like, this is insanity. I don't understand. I, I was, but anyway, we finally got to see Drew Locke play, Eric. What'd you think? <laughs> I thought that it was a nice little pat on the head to the vocal minority of people saying, put in Drew Locke, put in Drew Locke. Well, we did. And look what it did for you. Uh, okay. Now this is what they're saying now. Well, if he had the game to prepare, he would be, uh, he'd be so good. 
He went two for six with an interception and three yards passing. Okay. In honor in honor of the uh, UW Huskies doing so well, Billy Joe Hobart also could have done a lot better <laughs> had he prepared when he played for the Raiders, but he didn't read the playbook, and maybe Here, Drew Locke didn't either. Here's the thing for Drew Locke for me is that three of those throws were just like clean misses that that he should have had. Okay, the inter- so the, the, inter- the interception the could have been big plays. Like, like put some air under that, dude. You, the whole so, the, yeah. the whole point of you is you can throw far. The, the one to the one to JSN came off as okay. He doesn't have the chemistry. The chemistry isn't there. That's right. fine. I get if he, it. If he hits but him on the, the seam right there, that's a big play. But yes. he, he just kind of doesn't know where JSN's going to be. The interception was you underthrew it, and Tyler Lockett did. Tyler Lockett did his best to make you look good. And it just wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> so Nathan, is the clickbait headline for this podcast then? Is the hose really the water pistol? I mean, I, I don't know. Like he he seriously like the whole thing about this guy was like, oh, he has a hose. He can throw real far. It's like I would in that particular throw. If you throw it too far, at least you give Tyler a chance to run under it. Yes. Like there was no chance on that Whoa. play. He basically hey. threw it. Uh, he threw a nice, nice, deep, deep fade to the, the cornerback. Yeah, threw a back shoulder fade to the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to like bury the lead or switch subjects here. But also, the play calling did not give him any. Oh, did not do him any favors. Don't worry. There, there's. I, wrote, I know we'll get. I, I wrote a five minute rant about the play go, calling. Go so. back to go back to Drew Locke and what was it? The New York game. He went for he went for like two for six in that game too, or two for five. Yeah, two for six, this, I think. Also, yeah, that's okay. We've seen the sample size. He's what he's always been. Where's Drew Locke always been? The what it, if backup. What? What's the point of this guy if he – okay, why are we holding on to him as a backup if – okay, like let's say hypothetically, yes, he's real good in practice and he would be much better if he could, you know, run the scout, run the run the offense and, and do a whole practice. But like why are we carrying him as a backup then? Because if he can't come off the bench cold, that's the point of a backup. Yes, it's he like needs he a needs to – he needs to <laughs> He probably is a good hang. He needs to be able to come off the bench and then play competent NFL quarterback. That is what the backup quarterback is for. Pretty handsome um, with a baseball cap and a clipboard. We seem to. He's he good seems dan- to like some. He some did that really cool. He did that really cool thing with his hands where he like pretended like he was putting guns in holsters with the, but he was doing like the hang loose. You know, remember that? Yeah, at Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, Actually, yeah. I think that was like like strapping in like. Uh, I like I like a roller coaster. Yeah, because because yeah. that's the Drew Lock experience. That's the experience. Uh, he's, uh, he's very self aware of that. He he's a actually top gun well, and he gets in the he the gets cockpit. in the game and it's nineteen to seven and you're at the top of the roller coaster and then he leaves the game and you're losing and you're way down here. Um, is that the? <laughs> and then <laughs> Eric, gonna... are you implying that he does flybys on several uh, uh, lieutenant's daughters that's, or something? Yes, like that? without okay. negative Ghost Rider pattern is full. Okay, <laughs> Gino Gino Smith. I think at this point we can all say Gino is solidly like Kirk Cousins tier. Um, he's he's a good football player. He plays good football. Um, but there's everything that comes with being Kirk Cousins tier. It is extremely hard to build a NFL caliber roster who can that can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. Doesn't mean it can't be done. Doesn't mean that Gino's not. But the it guy. does mean it hasn't been done, and that's Do- kind of a hint. Doesn't mean that. He, but the thing. It, I've been saying we've been I've been saying now for a couple of weeks is the team needs to take some like high leverage mid round shots at finding like a guy who can be better than that. Gino will continue to be a really solid option for us if that's the way we go. But we have to build the next Legion of Boom if we're going to win the Super Bowl with Gino at, at quarterback. And that's that's tough. It's tough to build a legendary defense like that. He has all the weapons around him. This offense should be better. Now, it's not all his fault. You guys ready to talk about Shane Waldron? Uh, can I it, say one thing about Gino? Yeah, go ahead. Just because I, I said there was one mistake he made, 
Uh, I know the report is, is that his headset went out at the end of the game. Yes, th- I actually have that in my notes. And um, and this guy also came back from death by Aaron Donald to, yep. to mm-hmm. try and heroically lead us. Did cool. two basically cool guy heroic- thing to do. What, what in the second half or in the fourth quarter? I for, uh, my notes are in the other room because I came prepared, guys. Uh, we had something like forty yards of offense, and they all came on that last drive in the fourth yep. quarter. Gino was and that's that's pathetic. Gino, I mean, but, Gino, Gino was the potential hero of the game. If Jason Myers makes that field goal, I'm still we're still probably having the same conversation. But like at least no, we it's can probably spin it. it probably goes to like what a hero Gino is. But my problem is we didn't spike the ball. And I know you can say, well, his headset was out, and so he didn't get the call. But man, you've been—he's been in this league a long time. You gotta spike the ball there. I don't. So the four. I know that the. Okay, so I know what the Seahawks do in these situations. I've read up on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. They have this play. It's like a toolbox play that they run in situations like that. And basically, that's the the toolbox play is what JSN got the screen pass and housed it with, and like the other side of the toolbox play is a run there, it, depending on the look the defense gives mm-hmm. him. And so like you're, su- he's supposed to do like a, that, do the run in the toolbox play was the next play in the, in the setup or whatever. If he didn't get the call in, I think it's, it's an overall failing just, of the, it's an I overall failing of the offense. Situational though. awareness there though. Yeah. The pro- yeah. I, the problem, I don't want to give Gino a full pass on this. That's the thing. I, I think it's a Waldron problem. Why? Why is that the play that we go to if we don't have the thing? That's in the preparation. That's that happens. That happens before the game. You can't just ma- like he did not yes, separate. When it he would preparated. be nice if Gino was literally Aaron Rodgers and could like make those split second decisions that make you a Hall of Famer. But I think we've clearly established maybe like two minutes ago we don't think Gino Smith is a Hall of Fame level quarterback. He's Kirk Cousins tier. He's good. He can win you some football games. He can lose you some football games. He's going to put up some five touchdown performances, some 300 and what was it? 369 yards the other week. He's going to put up some 300 plus yard games that you're like, yeah, Gino's that dude. Okay. But he's also going to just do some stuff, but you're like, what the hell is going on right now? What is this? And uh, I think that that was a perfect example of a like WTF moment with Gino right there where it's like, the preparation needs to be better. That the offensive coordinator needs to have him prepared for that situation where we're saying, "Okay, we do this in that situation. We don't run the toolbox play where we read, and one of the reads is potentially a Charbonnet inside handoff." Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Eric. It's like ridic- ridiculous. I'm I'm frustrated with Shane Waldron. Uh, a lot of the That's, little things. I'm I'm ready to blast him. Okay, Kevin, I'm gonna let you lead off with Waldron because I I feel like I've uh, you have not talked in a while, and I know you're. You're not. Your voice is flagging. You've had a, t- a tough. Uh, you know the, the um, sinus I'm infection. On e. But uh, but I want to. I want. I know you have have stuff to say here. So Waldron, it has been Waldron. a frustrating stretch. Yeah, a frustrating stretch. Okay, Shane Waldron is a bang average offensive coordinator. I want to get that out of the way. So with everything that we're about to say, understand, he's pretty average. Um, the frustrating thing is that he seems to have every element of a successful offense, but can't string them together in a way that makes sense. So either everyone's running deep or everyone's running to the sticks or we're working our inside zone, but we can't get anything on the outside. Nothing seems to set anything else up. And so we can come out with this perfect drive a game, but that's it. And that's really frustrating. I I don't think think he's garbage. I don't think he's terrible, but he's he's being average and sometimes being average is incredibly frustrating 
I, I think like if you want to know like what the problem with Shane Waldron is, is like look at that third and three play in yes. the that third and three play. I think it's like well, what point in the game was it at? It was like it's pretty deep into the game. But anyway, Shane Waldron had everyone run like a six plus yard route, like every single guy in the field. No check down, no intermediate options. Everyone's running deep. I like on third and three, you don't need to get 45 yards. And I understand that every once in a while, you know, it's nice to pick up those big chunk plays. And I just can't tell anymore if this is a Pete Carroll thing or if Shane Waldron thing, because Pete Carroll does love those toxic plays, right? Like he loves to get the big plays. And so is Pete in his ear, like, hey, you know, we need, we, let's try to get a big one right here. And then he, so then he dials up, you know, like this uh, all ver- four verts. <laughs> it's not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't four verts, but you know, all these guys running like five plus yards past the sticks. Like, is that what he dials it's like in? Four, it's like four hitch. Um, you know, Shane Waldron is the only, the, the Seahawks, I guess it's not just Shane Waldron. The Seahawks run on third and short at third, third and three. The stat I read was, uh, 32% of the time we do a run the least in the league, the least a, in the league for a, for a team that ostensibly wants to say they're a running team. Pathetic. Yes. Um, set the tone. Like, did you do the thing that you set out to do? Um, we we pass more in neutral situations than almost any team in the league. I think we're second in neutral situations. Shane Waldron passing. not earning a little hammer. <laughs> um, I just don't. I just I just don't get it. I don't get what we're doing. We spent two second round picks on running backs. The whole reason we have Charbonnet and Walker is for situations like this game. We saw it last year. The Seahawks offense ground to a halt when we didn't have the running backs. You know when we had to start DJ Dallas. So this year, hey, guess what? Charbonnet goes down, or I'm sorry, Walker goes down, but Charbonnet's there, and he's a good, he's a damn good football player, okay? I'll say it. He's a very good football player, and now, what do we do? Well, let's just get away from the run. Let's just, let's just pass the ball more, even when, and so then it's like, okay, well, Gino goes down. Okay, well, now we've lost our, you know, you know, borderline Pro Bowl level passer, right? We're, we're saying that's the level we think he's at. We all agree on that, right? He's like, he's like almost, he's like, you know, he's a guy who'll make a Pro Bowl every once in a while, but probably won't make it every year. And and he's but he's he's decent. Then now we're gonna run, right? Drew Locke's in there. Now they're no, let's go three and out passing it a bunch of times. It's just it's bizarre. It's well, bizarre what did we're have doing. 15 runs in the game. Um the other issue is though, we weren't blocking up the run very well. He had two yards after contact, which isn't great, but it's respectable. He had three yards per attempt overall. Like But on third so on third and three, give him the ball, like get the three yards. Like That's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like we give it to him. The Seahawks don't play like great situational football. It drives me crazy. I feel like 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 Eric said, like they were just not prepared. That's the condemnation of the coaching staff. Exactly. It's the situational football is a problem. Red zone, third down. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah, like third down, red zone, uh, time winding down. Like it just doesn't matter. The Seahawks, like when the situation matters, the only situation we're really good at is when Gino has to play hero ball. And I think that's just because Gino's good. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, we need one drive from Gino. And then Gino moves the ball because Gino's just good. And DK is good. And Lockett is good. It's not anything Waldron's doing on the sidelines. It's just like, hey, it's time for the good players to take over. Oh, look, the good players can take over for a drive. Why can't they do it for the rest of the game? Well, because our coaching staff isn't competent. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the old knock on Pete Carroll, even back when he was at USC, was that he wasn't a great game day coach. He recruited really well. He set up a good locker room situation and then he would take his really talented players and they would go out there and run the simplest thing and just beat you because they are more talented. Stupid Shane Gailey. Yeah. LOB era, like 
our uh, our defense was just that good. And we were running a really simple, like, cover two, cover four scheme. And, or excuse me, cover one, cover three scheme. And it didn't matter because the talent level was so high that we would just go out and when it was best on best, our best were better. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, Pete Carroll's game day coaching has always been a big question. And it's not surprising that when the roster talent is a little lower, that those questions come into uh, into focus more. Uh, Will Disley, all-time worst drop. I, I could not. I was, I'm, I was like, <laughs> whoa, what is that? Um, but the other wide receivers, Lockett was great, you know, for what he played. Uh, I do think it did hurt the team that Lockett couldn't play like his, uh, like a full retinue of snaps. He's only able to get in 36, which is, you know, way less than, than normal for him. And seven targets on those 36 snaps. So like he was getting opportunities when he was there. So yeah, you're right. They, they wouldn't have been able to really cover up three receivers like that. I don't understand why we do two drives of stone Forsyth and, and Anthony Bradford. Like I, and stone Forsyth is looking like, yeah, stone foot Forsyth. Got him. Got him. Stone foot foot. Well, deserved. Oh man. I don't know. I don't know what to do with those those uh those guys. The running blacks really struggled in the blocking game too. Like I really feel like Charbonnet was the the only guy who felt like they they are they are trusting him a lot on third downs. He had seven pass blocking snaps in this game. Like they really trust him to make good choices and to really kind of throw himself in those blocks. He did a, a fine job in the passing game. Um I do think Jason Peters is playing about as good as you can expect a forty two year old to play. Uh Charles Cross is great. In this game, I like how they put Charles Cross on an island. And normally you're like, Charles Cross was on an island. And that was where we saw a problem. And this time it's like Charles Cross was on an island and it was the only thing above water. Yeah, it was a highlight of, uh, of what was happening uh, in the game for sure. And yeah, the rest of the offensive line, I, you know, you take it or leave it. They, they had ups and downs. Uh, it was a little bit of a struggle. So, OK. I feel like we're going to transition now to defense and then special teams and then we get a we have a special fourth phase segment in this in this particular game that we're going to get because we respect all four phases yeah there's a fourth phase in the nfl now and we're going to talk about it so so uh, we got our first phase second phase uh of course is we're the defense about it to america um is devin witherspoon the best football player who's ever lived discuss yes why not <laughs> he's so it's good what i've got to look forward to looking i mean he's already getting uh you know shade from the refs because he's so good they have to contain him yeah um was was it yeah. Witherspoon that had the suplex, or was yeah, that no, no, no. was that Wait. Woolen? Was I it Woolen? That was Reek. I don't know. No, whoever had that, that su- was Spoon. Whoever had that suplex though, they got they got hosed. That was a, such a bad call. Uh, uh, among many of the other fourth phase of the game stuff that we'll talk about later. But <laughs> but sorry, sorry, <laughs> I, I got into my fourth phase stuff a little early there. Um, Witherspoon had a sack. He had five run stops. He was targeted five times in the passing game for a total of three receptions for one yard. Yep. Is Witherspoon what we wanted Jamal to be? Because it sure feels so, like it. He's so good. Yeah. So good at football. He's so good at football. Remember when we traded first round picks to get a defensive back that could do everything? Because we're like, we never get to pick that high. All, and, and all we had to do is someone like this. All we had to do is have the number five overall pick. Yeah, it turned out. There's a. Adams missing is like one of a number of little things that happened in this game. Adams just, you know, kind of needing to manage that injury. Kenneth Which Walker getting love hurt. out of position Ty- and love got beat a couple times. Tyler, Tyler being hurt. Um, all that fourth phase stuff that like all these little things added up to just um, Frank Clark had to play 31 snaps. 
Like, no, he didn't. <laughs> why did Frank? Why did Frank Clark play that many snaps? You know, not to be that particular little league dad, but why did why did Frank Clark play that many snaps? And my son only got six snaps in this game. Why is Derek Hall getting one? What one? What one ninth? One the one sixth of the number of snaps. I can do math. I promise. They're they're because, out there so dead. They're out because, here running Leonard Williams into the ground. So, but they also are playing Frank Clark more, so that Draymond and Taylor and Hall and Edwards all can have less snaps than Frank Clark. What are we doing here? What are we doing here, Frank Clark? Is there no one on any practice squad we can sign in place of Frank Clark? That I love. I used to love Frank Clark. He went away. He came back. The dude is washed. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. My theory is changing. Frank Clark, uh, he's not it. Draymond Jones actually is starting to look. He's abducted by the Fae. And we're going to call him, we're gonna call him the ever, man, Kevin. Ever since we got Leonard Williams and have been able to play Draymond more over tackle, like he's been so much better. I've been yep. really impressed by Draymond actually the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it now. I get what we were, we were thinking with this guy. He actually could be like the new, I don't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. The new Michael Bennett, like guy who plays mostly defensive end, but kicks in a little bit on third down sometimes, and it's just kind of an, an effective pass rush guy. There, I uh, I don't know. He hasn't been called for a single offsides. Oh, that's true. He's got he's got some work. He's got his work cut out for him there. But I think Bruce, Bruce Arians has no opinion on him. Draymond, Someone buy that Draymond's man a bike. Solid. Draymond's looked pretty solid um, last couple of weeks. I think this is a good defense. I think if you hold your opposing team to 19 points, you shouldn't say too many negative things about also, the defense. Also, let's, let's just be honest. The defense looked good today. If you look at the end, uh, they didn't do so well. It's because they were on the field so much. Yeah. In the second half, it was all defense until that final drive. I, I can't say anything bad about the defense except no. for Frank Clark. <laughs> we saved all the, sorry, the lizard all. the lizard man, Frank Clark. <laughs> when you look at the offensive numbers that the Rams put up, I mean, you know, Stafford didn't have a day. It wasn't like, like, it's uh, like 190 like yards or something. Yeah, it was it was uh he fifty four point eight percent completions, hundred and ninety yards, six point one yards per attempt to pass on uh, a touchdown a pick. Like that's not a great day. No. Um, you know, their leading rusher was uh, Royce Freeman. He had 17 for 73 yards. Congratulations, you're Trent Richardson. What's that feel like? Yeah, like, it was. It was like they had an adequate run game and the pass game, like we wore them out. We kind of let them have a bit of a run game because we we're going, you know what you're not doing? Having Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell go for over 100 yards on us. Zero percent chance that's happening. And we I will say. Oh wait, I gotta Put save that for box. I gotta save that for fourth for fourth phase of the game. Sorry, sorry, I had a, I had a defensive comment that oh, involved two two out the, well. Yeah, but, the, the two but, two protectorate. Yes, we'll talk about that. Okay, all right. So, um, yeah, I think defense is great. Third phase of the game. Obviously, Jason Myers had a really good game. Sucks that he missed that last field goal, but I, you know, they put a lot on his shoulders in this game. That would have been his third 50 plus yarder Excuse in the me, game. Is Jim Mora on this podcast? Because otherwise, we don't throw kickers under the bus <laughs> after they make a good game. Yeah, it's a one forty plus yard field goal, two fifty plus yard field goals. Like Jason did what he what he had to do. That they, they should have, like Eric said, should have spiked the ball, got a little closer. Nathan, uh, made, go pull one out here for him. Uh, Dixon is great. Uh, I'm very sad. There's no more. No one out for the little hammer. No one. No more tones will be being set by uh, Jarek Reed. He he is now out for the rest of the season. Um, my man. Well. Uh, Seahawks conspiracy theory. What? We're getting a Lucas back and they have to make a roster spot. They don't want to cut. 
I yeah, mean, a fake an ACL. <laughs> uh, Julian Love had three special teams tackles in this game, which is like extraordinary, especially considering he was only out there for five snaps, uh, for five coverage Ooh. snaps. That's a great. That's a great performance by Julian Love in special teams. So big ups to him. All right, fourth phase of the game. Here we go. Uh, let's talk about penalties. This is it. It was ref ball to the extreme in this game. And normally, I think it's pretty lo- lo- loser mentality to complain about the refs. But in this particular game, um, they were very impactful. Can I, do the, can I do the, the preamble real quick? Not just because of the total yardage. Let me let me give you one other thing, though. Okay. I got to say this. Okay, because not just the total yardage. Yes, giving up, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, 12 penalties for 130 yards is extraordinarily bad, especially because one of them was like a 40-yard penalty where someone knocked down 2-2 Atwell because they were afraid he might outmuscle them. That's a bad penalty on the Seahawks. I'm going to give the refs that one. Um, that was that was Julian Love, wasn't it? But what do you, what's going to happen? Is a hundred and eight pound Tutu Atwell going to outmuscle you to the ball? Like just just let it be a jump ball and just get the ball. I don't know. Anyway, um, five of the five of their of the penalties that we got were for, uh, caused first downs. They got five first downs for penalties. We only got one first down for penalties. So on the outset, like you might look at the numbers and think, well, we got nine for ninety two and they got twelve for one thirty. That's pretty even. The impact that the penalties had was not. At, equal despite the numbers being relatively close together um and the worst penalty for me was when puka nakua trips <laughs> oh trips over Quandre Diggs running Quandre his Diggs. route and then just keeps tripping and then for some reason was it spoon got the penalty yes, in the Witherspoon got in those in the end zone and it's like yeah no he what are you taught and that penalty was on third down and would have put up maybe they don't go for it maybe they kick a field goal but instead they get the ball on the one and off with first down which is basically like handing their team a touchdown like you just can't it's over so yeah it incredibly frustrating penalty game i mean like i said before like you should be able to beat bad teams despite bad calls and the refs are the refs are stupid they're not they're not like there's the nfl is not rigged this is not the nba with uh tim donahy where they're rigging for gambling at least yet i don't we're, we'll get there the gambling scandal is going to happen <laughs> but i don't think we're there yet um i just think and especially in this game where the seahawks covered it was seahawks plus two and a half like i don't know like what did someone have like a seat of rams win but seahawks cover ticket like that that's horrible rigging if they were rigging it <laughs> but, but they did a they did a real bad job of of rigging it but but uh, yeah, it's just just the refs are just incompetent. They're so bad. They do everything so inconsistently, and they have a disproportionate outsized impact on the game. And it is makes the game less fun to watch. To know that like these refs had us, I mean, they had a significant enough impact on this game that you could say like they lost us the game. Like the, there was enough bad calls against the Seahawks where they yeah they you could say they lost us the game. I won't because I hate saying that, but they definitely had an impact on on the game that was being played. All right, guys. Open season. Give it to the refs. They deserve it. <laughs> Anybody want to say anything about Kevin the, about don't ref ball? I, I, I really hate to follow up with. I think that's about no, it. I hate I hate bitching about the refs. Um, I feel like they're just. <laughs> I feel like Witherspoon is getting that. What's the opposite of the benefit of the doubt? That's what Witherspoon's getting this whole season. I know. And it's like, bothering me. Every game, there's something where you're like, "Are you serious?" We got we got Captain Holding Sauce Gardner just never gets a call against him, but then <laughs> Witherspoon has to has to fight for every inch because everything just gets called. Everything gets called on him. It's so frustrating. Yeah, 
I don't get it either. You're right. Witherspoon has like what I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, it's just everything he does gets flagged. The DK treatment, the DK treatment, right? I mean, he's yeah. a demonstrative, aggressive player. And, you know, a lot of referees are scared little boys. That's what happens. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So the Seahawks this Thursday, two days from today, we'll head to San. Or no, it's a home game. It's a home game. We will face San Francisco yep. in Lumen Stadium, Lumen Field, Lumen uh, Century Link, uh, Seahawks Stadium. Uh, okay. <laughs> we will, we will, let me roll through Quest, Quest Field and Event Center. Uh, Wamu. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Um, they will face the the 49ers this Thursday. Let's start with this. Uh let's do the uh let's do the four outcomes box. I think I think that's how I feel about this game. Four true outcomes. I think that there is not a great chance that the Seahawks blow out the 49ers. I think the odds of that are close to zero. Um I do think there's probably like a 25% chance the Seahawks win a tight one. Maybe maybe closer to 30. Maybe let's go 30. 30%. The Seahawks win a tight one. You sure I'm you want to bring be realistic though? I'm gonna go 40% Seahawks lose a tight one, and 30% the Seahawks get blown out at home against the 49ers, which I do think is a very real one out of three chance that it, one out of three ish chance could happen. That it's um, a hold your nose, turn it off before halftime as game. Mu- as much of a chance as I think we have of winning, I think we have of being down 20 at halftime. <laughs> that's that. That's what I'm gonna say about that. Uh, so yeah. I'm not super optimistic about this game. Let's talk about the opposition. The 49ers are an extremely top-heavy roster, but the good players are are extraordinary. They're very good. And they really put together great game plans. It's a very well-coached team. We've seen it this year. They can lose inexplicably. They lost 22 to 17 at Vikings. They lost 19 to 17 at Browns. Okay, but they also beat the Jaguars 34 to 3. They beat the Cowboys 42 to 10. This is so this is a team that really like when they're on, they are among the best teams in football. Okay. When they are off, they are very they can be had. So the question is coming off a 27-14 win at home against the Buccaneers, like, is there any way we can catch them kind of feeling off guard? Especially considering that they're going to follow up this game with a game at the Eagles. So, you know, is there a possibility that they're looking ahead to the potential NFC championship game matchup. That's where I think the Seahawks have, you know, some chance to win that 25%, I 30%. I don't think the Seahawks and 49ers ever overlook each other. That's the thing about that. It's hard to overlook your division rival. <laughs> I'm going to give you that one, but if you were going to do it, it's the road game that you're going to probably play in the NFC championship. Like that's, that's so the you're game. Telling you telling me there's for. a chance. Uh. Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, there is a small chance that the C- 25, 25, 30% Seahawks play good enough to win this game. I'm not, I mean, I'm not a, I think this it. comes down to the Seahawks passing offense. Uh, with Smith out, uh, and they have solid, but not spectacular corners. Can our offensive line hold up enough that our wide receivers can beat their corners more often than Shanahan scheme beats our defense. And so line move, line movement. Can we has score twenty four points? Line movement has been pretty interesting this year because most of the time the line movement has been correct in Seahawks games this year, for good and for bad. 
uh, like last week, it moved the mine open Seahawks minus one and closed Seahawks plus one and a half, like moved way towards the Rams and the Rams won. This week, it opened at minus six and now is at minus seven. So betters are really, you know, hammering San Francisco in this game. And I think rightfully so. Like um, ESPN says we have a 26.5% chance of winning, which I feel like is pretty accurate. It seems pretty, pretty fair to me. The, uh, what the ESPN analytics says. All right, Eric, how do you feel about uh, this game against the 49ers? I feel low. I feel like we don't have a chance. I feel like we held back possibly some some plays. I, okay, going back to the last game, which I know we closed the book on, but it felt like we were like we rotated guys in we didn't have to. And I think like on the short week, Pete wanted to try and get all the guys he could to play against the 49ers, uh, play as much as they could, you know, held, though, held out Adams because, you know, you wanted to play against the 49ers. I think a little bit of that, but also, you know, like rotate, I don't know. We did some really weird rotations. I kind of wanted to talk about, but I didn't really, there's nothing more to say than we just had some really weird rotations. Offensive against, line rotation, like weird, yeah. weird defensive line. Yeah. Hits. Against the Rams. It was just really strange. So on this one, I feel like we're trying to go all in, but, uh, Kenny dubs ain't going to play. Like he has an oblique. Uh, I, I really don't see him coming back. Sounds like Gino's going to play, but I don't know if Gino's 100%. Um, I think we're going to be hamstrung, and I think San Francisco is going to look to set the tone. They know that they've lost three games, and frankly, they shouldn't have lost any of those games. Uh, I feel like, like Kevin said, they're, they're going to get up for the Seahawks, and especially on our home turf. I'm not feeling good about this game at all. It's tough like, because the three game losing streak probably was the wake up call they really needed. Yeah. And like now, and now they, they're already kind of through it. And so, you know, you hope. Once that, you lose to the Browns, you're, you, you got to wake <laughs> up or retire. Whoa. The, uh, hey, I think that you got to understand the the Browns are like seven and three, dude. Yeah. Like and they lost what is, to the what Seahawks. Is ha- what is happening? <laughs> Why do we, maybe we will win because we take out all the top teams like Cleveland. Like Detroit, what universe am I in? That's the thing I, I'm saying. Like, there's rare so real only chance beat, we uh, play off inex- Western teams. We <laughs> inexplicably go two and two in these next four games, and it's like, and it give, and then of course I'm gonna be here, and I know what I'm gonna be like. I'm gonna be gassing us up. I'm gonna be like, oh, we're back. We went two and two in the in the gauntlet. Like, we're so good. But I, I think I'm I'm gonna know deep down in my heart, and I'm saying this now. I'm gonna have a hidden hidden part of my soul here that just knows. We're going to cough up the end of the season and look terrible in one of those last three games against the Titans at home against Pittsburgh or at Arizona. You know, it's going to be Arizona. We're going to drop the last game of the season to Arizona and it's going to do something weird to our playoff situation. Drop, drop, us, from, really drop us from drop us from fifth to seventh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, going to be probably, something like that. Probably sure. something like that. I mean, it makes it's, it's classic Seahawks. I just of course. Um, I just mean, yeah, we think you can do scores. All right. Um, I'm going to go. Right. I'm going to go. I'm actually going to pick the 49ers blowout, to be honest with you. I think it's like, I think it's like 49ers 31, Seahawks 16, something like that. Uh, we're pretty close. I got San Francisco 30, Seahawks 20. Uh, 49ers 37, Seahawks 13. All right. Even bigger blowout. I like it. There are many ways to support the Seahawks. Oh, by the way, we activated the secret power right there. So let's hopefully it one more time. You can't say that. Yes, it works even when I say it. 
<laughs> so, yeah, we've gone through this before. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best I told way to you, do so. I had a force field on, so your shot didn't count. <laughs> oh, very, I like this this superstition that doesn't exist. Anyway, anyway, uh, support the show. Head to patreon.com slash Nest. Only 12s. Only 12s.com. Uh, punthub.us. Those are all oh, websites no. that I own. Uh, for, for as little as $1.24 a month, join the Discord. Come hang out with us. Uh, as we hurtle towards our 420th episode, which I think will be like the last episode of the season. Uh, we're very close. Depends on, depends on how far, if we, if we do a first round playoff loss, I'm like 99% sure 420 is like the last episode of the season. Uh, thanks at all. Do it, do it all for the Tucci, Emmanuel, Andy, Cooper, Evan, Floctimus, Gavin, James, Jost, Joshua, Lucas, Malcolm, Ryan, Samuel, Terrence, Timothy, Tom, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Crack, Snacker, 420, Daniel, David, Feet Meat on Rifles, Jay, Luke, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Noah, Poops, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, Nick, Chip. And um, guys, have you ever been sitting around like with your friends just talking? Have you ever yeah. have you ever done that before? Yes. Have you times. ever have you sometimes ever, on Tuesdays? Have you ever thought like, oh, we should record this conversation for everyone to hear it? Because it's such a good conversation I'm having with my friends. No. Oh, I mean, yes. I have. <laughs> I have Nathan. Okay, all right. Well, you can do that using a great service that we use to record the Seahawks Nest podcast. That is Zencaster. Zencaster is a is a service that we've used for a long time. We've grown up. We've grown up with Zencaster. It has been a, a lot of fun. Uh, and I cannot tell you this. This once again, this program will record your tracks and save them fifteen different ways, so that there's no way you can lose them and lose your episode. It is divine. It is Comcast, truly not a sponsor. Never will be because Zen, Zencaster saves you from them. <laughs> yeah, Zencaster. Zencaster is a is the bacon saver. So yeah, if you want to head over to uh, Zen.ai, use our code promo code Seahawks Nest when you check out. There's an affiliate link in the Discord. Uh, click it to make us look really pop. I mean to 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 buy Zencaster. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in uh, fact, the only on, way to be to be honest here. with you. I mean. I actually like the service. I think it's great. Um, it's a good service. Uh, you should you should try it if you want to record a podcast. It's uh, it's easy to use. It's very helpful. All right. You um, want the real dish on this? This uh, no because product... no because I because I have to clip this and then they're gonna listen to it. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was so... gonna say, this product is so good that Nathan was like, we have to do an ad for it, and I really this... don't want to put in any effort. But I don't want to stop using Zencaster. That is so true. I that guess is 100% we're doing an true. ad. And that is the true. strongest endorsement Zen- that I've ever heard for a product. My choices were run ads or pay full price for this product. And I was like, Ugh. I picked run ads because I do like it. And also, I actually feel good about advertising it. I've never, I've never, don't do many ad reads. Like Washington Fish Quest is the only <laughs> other thing we've ever ad read for on this podcast. And the and occasional making fun of Arby's. Uh, yes, that's true. I was like, the spec ads don't count. We haven't done this in a long time. And it's Skyline Chili. They owe us. Uh, <laughs> that's only on the Patreon, bro. That's that's. Well, the I know that's that was actually people had to for it. By the way, I had a great I had a great schwam this week. Uh, it was <laughs> it was in a Tommy DeVito baby. There you go. Because uh, you know that, that that guy that guy forget about it. So anyway, back to the back to the ad read though. <laughs> They're gonna love this part. Whoever has to listen to this to mark the ad um, <laughs> is is uh, it's it's a service I actually use, like and enjoy. Like I don't feel any kind of guilt about recommending it to others. Save money. Use our podcast code. Uh, use use it Zencaster. It's it's cool. It's great. Okay, movie club. Uh, movie club. I oh oh uh, do it all for the Tucci. 
has been like supporting big time in the Discord and in Patreon. Big really, su- really supporting the show. Uh, probably gonna be able to buy something uh, cool for like the uh, stream setup. Or, Does he get uh, a big shout? This this thing. Oh, he gets the biggest shouts. I'm, a, I'm a Jan- certified big shouts. Going Jalen Rose on this one. Uh, but. <laughs> uh he's i was like you can suggest as many movies as you want he suggested princess bride which you already did and now we're going to do his other suggestion which is 13th warrior um almost the same movie <laughs> what somewhat but not at you know all. there's there's sword fighting there's it, piracy it is, there's it swords a princess and, there's swords and uh what's it what do they call these kind of movies swords and sorcery swords larger and, yeah, than sorcery. life individuals <laughs> okay let me let me Billy start. Crystal. It works too well. Do with it. Let me start with this about about uh, about the uh, oh my god, I can barely think about thirteen. <laughs> okay, it's like I watched this movie and I was like, dang, some parts of this movie are so sweet, and then like some stuff about this movie makes absolutely no sense. Like I don't know why they're doing this or thinking this. Like why is this happening? Like why is why why is this this whoa, way? And why is whoa, this way? Whoa. The witch, so then, the angel of death, basically told him, "Yo, thirteen men. That's all it's gonna take." And one no, of them has to. Why. One of them has to be a non-Viking. That that's that was part of it too. Yes, that's an important rule. Great job of explaining why there's no more bears in Europe. Okay, but here's the here's the thing. Okay, <laughs> you have to kill so that, many bears. So I had to look up. I was like, how did this movie get made? Like, why is this movie like this? Have you read about the production of this movie? No, but no. I know about the it's, book, and it's like the book is so much weirder. And they're yeah. like, man, you guys well, the, really cleaned it up for this weird movie. Okay, so here's. Here is the production of this movie. Okay, so John McTiernan makes like a cut of this movie, 13th Warrior. He makes the movie. It gets test screened. It is a disaster. I don't know what these test screens look like, you know, because a lot of people didn't like this version of the movie that came out either. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. just like a better version of this movie. Who knows? I Maybe it could be a version of this movie I like more. I I think it probably would be because I think John McTiernan um, released kinda, the turning cut dear did some cool stuff in this movie and we'll talk about that in a minute so then they reshoot a whole bunch of it but mcturnan doesn't want to do it because he's like this is uh, he's mad and so michael McTiernan. michael Crichton directs the reshoots and that is i think why the movie is the way it is that interesting the, so the, the the thing the things that's about this movie um are all Mc, the things that are great about to me are all mcturnan they're like like um the way that all the action sequences really like interact with environment is just like so sweet and like the fog and like how the lighting and the, like the, the torches and stuff like that stuff is so sweet. And it's like, that's, that's definitely like, you know, McTiernan stuff. And then like the way that none of the characters are really characterized and we're rushing through like a million things. It's like, Oh, that's Michael Crichton trying to just like cut stuff out of this movie because he wants it to be more appealing to the mass audiences. I, and then also that last fight scene, it's like, dude, they're, they're, they even show, did they even show Antonio Banderas one time? No, because <laughs> they couldn't get him for the reshoots. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I think. I really think that. I'm 100% with you. They couldn't get him for the reshoots. He was like, nah, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. <laughs> He's like, release the McTiernan cut. He was on it from the start. <laughs> I don't know. It's frustrating. Frustrating movie to watch because no, I'm gonna look this up. There, there might be something to this. So this um, movie was released in 1999. It went through some production stuff. Uh, there's a decent chance he was also working on like Mask of Zorro at the time. So yeah, they just couldn't get him back. And so wow, he was, was just like, "No, nah, I'm done." All right. Uh, Mask of Zorro was released in '98, but if they're All doing right. reshoots on 13th Warrior, released in '99. It's oh, no. It took a long time for this movie to come out. No, I think you're. I think you might be on something. So, 
okay. what what I'll say with this movie is just watch it with like a, a grain of salt, like because the enjoyable stuff is extremely enjoyable. Like it is really cool. The my favorite scene was the one where the guy was fighting that big dude uh, for like the blood price, yeah, uh, the blood price duel or whatever. The larger and than life free, character, the, the, yeah, that large guy's he's fighting for the prince and he keeps yeah, breaking his shield. He keeps breaking his shields and stuff and like all this crazy stuff. And then uh, and then eventually he's like pretending like he's too tired and the guy's like, "You can kill him now." And he's like. Rrr! And then he just he just completely whiffs the the, the killing blow. Another guy just turns around and murders him. And then he's like, "Why did you just not just kill him earlier?" And he's like, and they had that, they had this really cool conversation about how he's like he's like, "Oh, well, you know, now they have to worry about how crafty we are. You know, they don't have to just worry about how strong we are." And it's like, Whoa, yeah, it was basically like uh, Sun Tzu, baby. We like, could see how big they were, but now they have to worry about what they can't see from us. And it's like, yeah, nice, it's cool. That, that it was, was cool. that was a solid like that was a solid like Ronin. I, like sword fighter scene i agree yeah so like the, the cool stuff is really cool the stuff like that it's just like like i don't feel like at the end of the movie i knew any of those vikings like they no. they didn't characterize nope. any of them and it sucks because they're like the main secondary characters in this see, movie there's the rude guy who uh kept talking about the guy's uh horse <laughs> and mother um let's see there's leader guy the horse out of it there's uh old scarred guy who is in the duel there's a guy there's a guy blonde guy your guy that sings yeah, there's uh, is singing guy rude guy. I think it is I feel the like they guy. might be. I don't know. Maybe well, the there's there's love interest girl. <laughs> um, yeah, these are yeah. really these are really and, uh, really well characterized. And people. Antonio Banderas as the star. And here's I mean, the thing: the fact that you could not tell me his name despite him making a huge deal out of it like four times in the movie says everything. You're like, hold on, hold on. Who's the main? Is who's it, the main is actor? It like, is who's it the main Amon? character? They're both it's, Amon. Amon. it's a it's a mod. Okay, see, I, I missed a consonant. Do you like that that guy learned the language in like eight minutes? Well, he's a scholar. Uh, I, I like will that say, they showed it during a fever dream. That was cool. The, that's another McTiernan thing that they did in this movie. They did the thing where he like the language switches, like in like the Hunt for Red October. That was kind of dope. Uh, I thought that was cool because it's like, oh, he finally understands the language now. Like this is when he started to get it. Is when you as the audience get to start hearing it. I thought that was like a really cool way to present. Once again, there's lots of great stuff in this movie, like really so, cool stuff. It's my just, thing, my thing ahead, about Eric. this movie is that like it's loosely the the book is loosely based on Beowulf. We kind of made that joke at the beginning of the show, but the themes of Beowulf are not at all the themes of this movie. And there's you can, it borrows from it, but it's a completely different tale. And in this, you you get basically Antonio Banderas's character, Ahmad, as you have recently told me his name that I remember now. Uh, <laughs> basically, he he learns from this other culture, and it's a way to help him with his religion. Is he's like a man of peace, and he's a scholar, and he is now uh, he he has learned how to be a good servant of his god. And that's a completely different theme than Beowulf. I I thought I was I like that. It was it kind of made it like the first time I saw it, I was like this is Beowulf, and then as I rewatched it, I was like this is one hundred percent not like Beowulf, but I get it. I get what. So, the, one thing about this movie is this movie's kind of gritty. There's it's gory, like, and you can tell, like, um, you know, just watch this movie with the in mind, like, which is because I, I, the the Crichton thing. A couple of really makes, good, like, tight fight scenes, like, um, but when they raid, when they're all sleeping and they get raided, or mm -hmm. when they have to go investigate, like, why this other settlement isn't like the kid who comes running from the other settlement. Yeah, what's up with the score in this movie? It feels like they picked – they were like, oh, the score should be kind of like um, Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't even 
what it what is the score? It's and then, a little too upbeat, a little too triumphant. Right. It's Neither it's like a little the, swash. It, swashbuckling is the word that someone else used to describe it that I read, and I was like, yes. Then it does not fit this movie. Yeah, at it's, all. it needs to be dark. They're like, oh, it's swords and sorcery, so it should be like the Conan the Barbarian movie. And it's like that's not the tenor of the rest of the movie, though. So there's a there's actually a rejected score. It's by Graham Ravel and uh, and Lisa Gerard, and you can find it on YouTube, and it's way better. And it makes oh. me think like there is a five star. This is what I want to say is there is a five star movie hiding in the raw film and this rejected score and all of this stuff. There is a five star movie that you could that is somewhere out there. You know, there's some so there's cut an of this epic movie. sword fighter, 95 minute cut of this movie that is just great. With that is lots perfect. of rain and blood it, and smoke and uh, fog. Yes, it's, and and it's perfect skins. and it's amazing in every way. And instead, what we got was like the the B minus version of that. Like the it's it's good. It's solid. It's 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 like Did a, you like a, that they gave him the same there. escape as the Goonies had? There are moments in the movie. If I would have watched this movie for the first time when I would <laughs> damn it. If I would have watched this movie for the first time when I was like eleven or twelve, I'd probably think it was the sweetest movie ever. Yes. Like I I'm just gonna say that too. Like the fact that I I don't think I'd ever seen this movie all the way through until now. I think I'd seen parts of it. I don't know if it would be as so I did level, watch but... it when I was about 15 or so i watched it in the early 2000s and i remember that that was why i was like oh, okay i guess we're doing this the only thing i remembered from the movie was all the stuff i didn't like about it and i think part of the problem was um like i would have probably ended up watching it on like tnt when it pre premiered or whatever and i remember being so dark in a lot of the scenes that it was yeah. really hard to know what was going on and so i think like film being cleaned up since then for like newer streaming releases and stuff makes it a more watchable it was, movie. It was definitely meant a lot to of be stumbling around at night. Meant to be seen in a theater. Like, yes, the home viewing experience in 2000 was probably not very good for this movie. No, I don't uh, think compared, so. Compared to seeing it in a theater where like, because the thing is, is that McTiernan's really good at sh shooting those dark scenes and stuff. It kind of made me think like this guy should have done, should direct more or should have directed because it's in the past now. Um, but but should have directed more stuff like where, uh, you know, we let him. Uh, I don't know. No, he has not passed. We should have gave him the, the long night from Game of Thrones and like any <laughs> any scene that like where it's like it's dark and we got to do cool stuff. Give it to this guy, because, you know, even though he's been married four times, I just went to his Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't judge him for that. He, come on, leave the man alone. That's his private life. Um, he. uh he knows how to direct some some action. I like 2002 Rollerball. I don't even care. He pleaded guilty to perjury and lying to FBI investigators in regard to his hiring of private investigator Anthony Pelicano in late 2000 to illegally wiretap the phone calls of two people, one of whom is Charles Roven, a co-producer of his dystopian science fiction action film remake of Rollerball. <laughs> Just put that All right, there. let's talk more about this. Let's bring more of his <laughs> private life All in right. here. This is too much. This All is right, weird. Sorry, it was just one of those things. You're like, oh, I wonder why this guy hasn't done anything. Oh, apparently he went up for perjury like ten years ago. Never mind. Yep. All right. So do we uh, do we uh, want to give our like quick quick ratings and last final thoughts here? I gave it a I gave it a three. I thought it was good. I like give it a three and a half because I'm a sucker for good sword fight scenes and there's not enough of them in movies. I'm probably being too hard on it. This, like I said, the sweet stuff was really sweet. So maybe I should have given it a three. I gave it a three. I enjoyed it. I, I first time I watched it, I was in Los Angeles. At a friend's house. Um, don't even ask. Uh, so rewatching it was enjoyable. I give it a three out of five. 
All right. So there you go. Uh, we, we recommend you, uh, if you want a good time with swords, to check out 13th Warrior. But just remember that the best, the better version of this movie, try to find it hiding within <laughs> the film here. All right. For Eric, for Kevin, we will see you all next week. Go Hawks.